Well, good morning again. Welcome to St. Paul's Blur Shoot. We're so glad you're here. Uh, welcome to those online, and especially if it's your first time. Uh, we hope to get to know you afterwards. Jesus of Nazareth is the king of saying crazy things. Sell all your possessions. Don't worry about tomorrow. Hate your father and mother. You can't love God and money. But I think the craziest thing he's ever said is love your enemies. He doesn't even say, love your enemies, it'll drive them crazy. He says this, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Now, when our oldest daughter went to university, I bought her the birdie personal safety alarm. If some guy was going to follow her home at night, I wasn't telling her to hug him. I was telling her to pull that alarm and kick and punch like hell. What does Jesus mean? Because it certainly sounds like he's telling us to be doormats when it comes to abuse. Is Jesus a pacifist? Is he opposed to having a police force and the rule of law? Is he trivializing the pain that people here this morning have experienced? How could this crazy command, love your enemies, make our lives better? We're in the final weeks of our series called The Mission of Jesus, looking at what his work and his mission mean for us today. And I want to put two assumptions out there. You don't have to agree with them, but just so you know where I'm coming from. And the first is that Jesus cares hugely about injustice, about evil. Last week, we heard Jesus publicly denounce the rich and the satisfied. He protected a woman who was about to be stoned to death. And on the night before he died at his trial, he was struck in the face and he challenged that violence. So the first assumption, Jesus cares deeply about injustice. And the second is that Jesus is not an idiot. Okay, you may be spiritually searching, uh, and so the jury is out on whether you think Jesus is who he says he is. And while followers of Jesus are frequently idiots, let's assume that Jesus is not. That he's not denouncing injustice on the one hand and telling us to suck it up on the other. That Jesus is serious about us loving our enemies. That it means something real. Because there are few things as important to Jesus as our relationships. So with these two assumptions, let's first look at what our natural response is to injustice. Then let's look at what Jesus is saying, the supernatural response, and then we'll wrap up with how, right? Like how might we do this? So first, what's the natural human response to our enemies? I'm sure somebody has offended or mistreated you this year. And in the broadest sense, our enemy is anyone who turns against you, right? So Jesus isn't simply referring to who our global enemies might be. And if you live in the Middle East, you have a very clear sense of who they are. But our personal enemies, well, they tend to be much closer to home. And in fact, Jesus specifically warns of relationships that easily go sour. A father and a son, a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And every week, we interact with people who don't like us, right? Like the teacher or the prof who has it in for you, or the neighbor who shovels snow onto your property, 
are the work colleague who posts political views you find deeply offensive. And our natural human response to that is either passive, or it's aggressive, or it's passive-aggressive. Passive. When someone insults or abuses you, you don't speak up, you don't confront. And, and psychologists describe how for some people, it's more painful to change the status quo than to stay in it, which is why some remain in abusive relationships. So the, the, the second natural response, of course, is aggression. You shoot missiles at me, I'll shoot missiles at you. You hit me, I will smash a glass over your head. Or you're vindictive to whomever has wronged us. You know, you rub your nose in it, you keep a grudge. Then, of course, there's the combo, passive-aggressive. Passive on the outside, uh, but seething with anger on the inside, right? You hear stories of revenge and you enjoy them a little too much. You lie awake at night having an imaginary conversation in which you gave that person a mind, a piece of your mind that you couldn't afford to lose, but it still felt good for like a minute. We don't confront, and then we snap, I've had it. But it's dangerous. Such people, they lead a quiet life, and then one day they go shoot up a school. And when the TV reporters interview the neighbors, they're all like, I don't understand, he was such a quiet guy, we never saw this coming. That's the range of natural human responses to our enemies, right? And along comes Jesus saying that none of them are going to work in real life, right? They might work in the movies, but they're what lead to all the unhappiness and misery that plagues our lives and clearly plagues the globe. Jesus then lays out an entirely different response to handling our enemies, a supernatural response, loving them, praying for them, doing good to them, and Jesus understood that this would impact the practical realities of life because he talks about lending money. He talks about giving to the poor, giving up our clothes. He doesn't have his head in the clouds. And the writer Mark Twain was once asked, don't you have a problem with all those bits of the Bible you don't understand? He replied, oh, it's not the bits I don't understand that cause the problems. It's the bits I do understand that give me the problems. The Christian response that Jesus lays out is that on the outside, we are meant to be actively opposing injustice, while on the inside of our lives and our hearts, we're experiencing peace, we're offering forgiveness. And the clue to this outside-inside view is where Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. You don't need to be an expert in jujitsu, and I so am not, to know that if you really want to take someone down, you don't go for their cheek. A slap on the cheek is an insult. It's not an assault. It's an insult on your honor, on the respect that someone has for you. And what Jesus is saying is that he wants his followers to externally, with their actions, be passionate about confronting evil, but internally, we're doing that without any concern for our image, our reputation, our ego, even our bank balance. Turning the other cheek means you're willing to give your enemy a chance to put the relationship on a new footing. You're turning your cheek to give your enemy a chance, no matter how remote that they just might kiss it. Imagine you've got a strained relationship with your dad. I know some of you do. 
Um, it's Sunday, you call them on Sundays, uh, you're on the phone, and the shouting and the insults begin. So you tell the truth. Dad, this needs to stop. You can't speak to me like this. I love you. I'm keen to have a good relationship with you, but I'm going to end this call now. I'll call you back tomorrow, hoping that when I call, you're calmer and you won't speak to me like that. The natural response is to either be passive, right, just take the insults, or to be aggressive, I'm done, and slam down the phone. But the supernatural response is to keep the door open for relationship if the other person is willing to change. Turning the other cheek doesn't mean letting them do whatever they want. It is never loving to let someone do evil or to let sin run rampant, which is why in our broken world, the military and the police are needed. But for followers of Jesus, the use of force is to restrain evil and must always be coupled with deep care and concern for the other person, for the other nation. And while Jesus calls us to externally oppose injustice, if we're not able to do it with peace and forgiveness on the inside, in our hearts, then evil is still one. Until we can externally battle injustice without venom, without vindictiveness, then our enemies, they're still controlling us. History has still got a knife to our throat. Can you think of any conflict that is unfolding right now around the globe that doesn't have decades or centuries of history fueling it? Ukraine and Russia, Israel and Palestine, India and Pakistan, don't think so. For a very long time, well, you don't get to be married for a very long time without uh, needing to forgive one another while still challenging each other. And as the saying goes, unforgiveness is still drinking the poison but expecting your enemy to die. Forgiving our enemies, praying for our enemies, doing good to them, that's fighting. That's being a warrior. Don't tell me that Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King Jr. were weak. Turning the other cheek, loving our enemy, it's the only hope for the brokenness in our own relationships, in mine, and it's certainly the only hope for the globe. So Jesus calls us to the exact opposite of a natural human response, right? To a supernatural response. Why is this supernatural? How do we implement it? Well, it's supernatural because it's an imitation of God. God is merciful, merciful to the wicked, to the unjust, and we will only be able to be merciful when we have the same power of the same God flowing through our lives. And here's the kicker, and I'm trying to be extra smiley and welcoming while I still tell you the truth. Here's the kicker. We are the enemies that God has been merciful to. St. Paul sums it up well. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Now, some of you here are probably thinking, I haven't been an enemy of God. Maybe not very religious, right? Nobody's perfect, but I'm not opposing God. So I need to say clearly, it's not possible to follow Jesus, to be a Christian, Unless at some moment in your life, even for a glimpse, 
you realize you have been at war with God. You've been an enemy of God's hopes and dreams for your life and for the globe. And the wonderful thing is that when you first start getting to know Jesus, you begin to realize that either before you were ignoring God, right? Your moral compass was what would benefit you, what would benefit your family, basically selfish. Or on the other hand, you were living an ethical life by, by some standard, but you were still using God, right? You were trying to be good so life would go the way that you want and that if God didn't give you the things that you wanted, right? You're still single or your career hasn't panned out or one or all of your kids are a disappointment. You are so mad at God, right? And actually both of those ways of living um, still have you at the center, right? Still wanting control my own life. But the great thing is that as you get to know Jesus, you'll begin to stop using God and start loving God. It's a lot less work <laughs> because you realize that Jesus died for his enemies. As his enemies were hammering nails into his hands, he asked God to forgive them. That Jesus died for us while we were still enemies of God. And the same power of a God who loves his enemies can flow through us. Listen to how this works. Imagine a wealthy CEO, and they've been mentoring a young disadvantaged man who, and for several years, and then they give them a job. And while this young man rises the ranks, he's also irresponsible, and he starts embezzling money. One day, he realizes that the auditors are going to find out, and everything will be exposed. So he decides to kill himself, and so he drinks to work up the courage. But he drinks so much that he passes out. Well, the CEO discovers him passed out on the desk. And after realizing what's been going on, she leaves two notes. One note is for the auditors. I'll pay the debts. And then the second note is to her young protege. I've forgiven you. If you're ready to get help, let's move forward together. When the young man sobers up and realizes that his benefactor seen him at his worst, right, and still loved him, this experience transforms him. And when you and I realize that we actually have been enemies of God, and yet God still delights in us, adores us. That is the supernatural fuel that enables us to treat other people the way that God has treated us. How do we live like this? Well, for starters, ask God for that supernatural fuel of being forgiven enemies ourselves. Ask God for it, it's there. Every time we open our mouths, our mouths, either life or death comes out. So refuse to speak evil about your enemies. Speak truth, speak it clearly, but don't speak evil. And if you do have an honest-to-goodness enemy, pray for them. Tell God you hate them. It's not a surprise to God. And then ask God to love this person through you because you cannot do it without God's power. Ask God to do for your enemy whatever you want God to do for you. Do you want more friends? Ask for more friends for your enemy. Do you want the bombs to stop falling on your children? 
Ask for the bombs to also stop falling on your enemy's children because your enemy can be a gift in your life. And this is absolutely not to condone the evil that they are doing. But our enemies humble us. My enemy humbles me. My enemy shows me if I really want to be like Jesus or not. And whatever truth about ourselves, our enemies reveal, and they always do, bring that truth to God and ask for forgiveness for yourself and then for your enemy. Let's close by praying for them. You know who you're meant to pray for. And so in a moment of silence, please ask God to give your enemy all the things in life that you want for yourself. Let's pray. Love your enemies. Thanks be to God.